Well, um, I know there's several of us in this room that probably have different things that send uh, goosebumps up our spine. To me, it's, a, it's like a really good Denzel Washington like speech, like whatever movie he's in, you know, these are very quotable things. They stick deep in my mind. And so whenever I hear him kind of enunciate and go after something, I'm just like, man, that, that, that's amazing. That's a, like, I, I love seeing a good artist at work uh, in the movies. Maybe some of y'all are kind of like on the little darker side and maybe Walter White, uh, uh, some of the things that Walter White has said in Breaking Bad, you're just like, oh, that actually sends a shiver up my spine and uh, kind of gives me goosebumps. But I, I, I say that to say, if, you are, if you're listening to this passage and you actually understand what's going on, this should give you chills. It should give you chills because the context of where we're at today in John chapter five is Jesus is kind of being put on trial. He's being put on trial by the religious leaders of the day. And this is John's commentary on kind of what they are saying and how how they engage and interact with Jesus. And he's saying, hey, where, Jesus, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to kind of do this or that and kind of circumvent our authority whenever it comes to the Sabbath? And you know what Jesus says? Is Jesus starts off by saying, hey, hold up a minute. This is my paraphrase. Hold up a minute. I need you to understand who you're talking to. I am the father of one. I give life just as the father gives life. I am the judge just as the father. Father is the judge. And so as you are putting me on trial, you know what Jesus is saying? I want you to know who you're talking to right now. You're talking to the judge and the king of the universe. And you just asked him where your authority came from. And if they did not fall down whenever Jesus was saying this, I, I don't know what was going on, but we see kind of, we kind of see their reactions to this, do we not? We see that they were just like, we're gonna kill this guy. We're gonna kill him based on what he just said. And so in this passage, we see very clearly that Jesus is saying, I have equality. I have equality with God. And then he goes on to say something that's really, really interesting that we need to unpack because then he says, you know what else I have? I have perfect submission to the will of the Father. Equality with God, and yet he perfectly submits. He perfectly submits to God, God the Father. So we, got, we have to uh, understand that. Why, why does uh, that matter? Why is he perfectly submitting even though he has perfect equality here? So let's unpack that. And it leads us to this, that God the Father, through the submission of the Son, was highly exalting him. The name above every name where every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess one day that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is setting up kind of a principle for us that if you've read your Bible at all in the last year or maybe uh, over the last decade, you recognize a very common theme throughout all of the Bible. And it's this, that the way up is actually down. That the way to exaltation is to bring yourself low. The way to rule is actually to submit. The way to power is actually to serve. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. The way to happiness is to actually seek the happiness of other people. The way to life is to lose your life so that you might find it. And this is a principle that we see throughout the entire New Testament and really throughout the entire, entire Bible. Uh, a perfect example that I can give you is uh, Ernie Johnson. Uh, some of y'all know who Ernie Johnson is. He is a, he's a TV host of Inside the NBA. And uh, he won the highest award that someone in this 
position could win. It was, he won a sports Emmy for, for, for greatest or outstanding, outstanding studio host. And you know what he did whenever he got up there? Some of y'all know who Ernie Johnson is. If you've seen the new Space Jam, he was one of the commentators in the new Space Jam. Um, if not, that's okay. Uh, just turn on TNT and he's probably there with Shaq and, Shaq and um, Charles Barkley and, and Kenny Smith. But uh, whenever he got the award, something amazing happened. He got up there and he very humbly received it. And the first words out of his mouth, and he, go, he goes, I don't deserve this. And he looked to two, two women that represented uh, another one of the nominees who was Stuart Scott, who was battling with cancer. And he said, Stuart Scott deserves this award. And he brings up his daughters and he says, give this to your dad who couldn't make it because he was at home fighting cancer. And you know what that did, in my opinion, to Ernie Rogers? It elevated him even higher. It, you know, the, the way to exaltation is through humiliation, is through humbling yourself. And this is the principle that we see. And Jesus states right here that his exaltation to be equal with, the, with God the Father is through submission to everything that God the Father has said and called him to do. And that's what's controversial right now. What's controversial right now is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is saying, I and the Father are one. Everything that the Father does, I, I do. Everything that I have done right now is what the Father is revealing to me and I am walking, I'm walking with him. And you might be saying, Cody, how is that controversial? How is, how is that even remotely controversial? Because aren't we all children of God? And isn't Jesus just saying, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a child, I'm a son of God. And that's kind of like in a, in a sense that we are all children of God. And maybe, maybe the Pharisees got it wrong. Maybe the Jewish leaders actually got it wrong. But that's not what Jesus meant whatsoever. Jesus, Jesus wasn't giving a sentimental vocab of how he related to God and how you and I should relate to God. Jesus was using exclusive language to identify him perfectly with the Father. You see, the Jewish leaders understood what he was saying. He was enacting the law of, I am the son of God. I am the son of God. And see, in, in, in the Old Testament, whenever uh, a man had wealth and land and property given to, him by, given to him by God, and this is how the 12 tribes of Israel worked in the promised land. You know what happened? You know what happened? They would, the father would give all the land, all the wealth, all the property, all that he had to the firstborn son. All, all that he had, you want, even if he had 15 sons, he'd give it all to the firstborn son. And the reason he did that was to be able to keep the wealth intact. So he wouldn't divide it by 12. He would say, in order for us to keep the family strong, I have to give it to the firstborn son. And what Jesus, was say, what Jesus is saying, I, I get everything that God has given. I get it all. I, I, it all belongs to me. And look what the Jewish leaders try to do. They just said, they pressed all the more to kill him because they understood. They understood exactly what Jesus was trying to talk about. And he uses this, uh, this very, very exclusionary language. He's, say, he's saying, the father, father gives life. I'm actually the one that gives life. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, we see that the, God is talking to the nation of Israel and he says that I am the Lord. There is no God beside me. I am the one that makes you alive. And then in verse 21, Jesus says, just as the father raises the dead and brings life, so also the son gives life. The son gives life. He, he's not just saying that, but he also says, I and the father are the judge. 
In Psalm 75, verse seven, it says this, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. God is the judge above all judges. He is the king above all kings. And in verse 22, it says, for the father judges no one, but he has given all judgment over to the son. He's given everything over to the son. Everything that the Old Testament said belonged to God himself. Jesus is saying, no, this is mine. This is mine. All honor belongs to him as well. Verse 23 says, whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So they picked him up, picked up stones to try to kill him because they were saying, this guy is an idolater. He's a blasphemer. He's a blasphemer. You know how serious blaspheming and idolatry is in the, in the, in the Bible? It is very, very serious. Remember any time an angel would show up to someone and it's recorded in the Bible the, the couple of times that it would happen, an angel would show up and it'd be spectacular and be like, oh my goodness, this is so amazing. And what would they do? They would bow down to worship and the angel would be like, get up, get up, get up, stop it. Stop trying to worship me. Uh, we are both creatures. I've had a beginning. You've had a beginning. My beginning was a little bit cooler than yours. I'm a little bit better than you, obviously, clearly, because you're trying to bow down. But I am just a creature. You cannot, you cannot worship me. We do not worship anything that has a beginning. We only worship the uncreated one, the one that has no beginning, the one that was with God at the, the beginning, the word, the word of life, the word of God. And so Jesus was saying, I and the Father are one, you should worship me. And this is amazing news. It's amazing news because the resurrection, resurrection life for us as Christians, whenever we believe that Jesus is actually God, that means that we can submit to God with our will the same way that Jesus submitted to God with his will in our place. And what's so good about this is it teaches us the essence, the essence of who God is. And the primary essence of who God is that we need to know and understand is not defined by necessarily by his love for us. It's defined by the God love that's between the father and the son. The greatest definition that you need to understand is that God the father has, sum, has submitted and turned all things over to the son so that the son could be exult, exalted. And right here in this passage, it says the son is not doing anything unless he sees it beforehand through the revealing of the father. And he's saying, I love the father so much, everything that he calls me to do, I will do. And therefore he is communicating who God is himself to you and to me. The son is communicating just how awesome, just how mighty, just how beautiful the father is through his plans. And then what he does when he reveals himself to us is he says, come and enter in. Enter into the dance of the Trinity, the beautiful communion that we've had for all of eternity. You see, whenever the, two, uh, the being of God, the Father, God, the Son together, whenever they have, uh, have loved each other for all of eternity, the only thing that's left for that to, to, to be able to express to other people is to share it. And so that's why he created. That's why we are creatures made to glorify him and to love him, and to understand that we can do nothing apart from him. And so Jesus claims to be God here in this passage. And, and let, me, let me say this as a quick aside. For those in this room that are far from God right now, that might be 
uh, might have uh, said yes to an offer or invitation of someone that goes to Redeemer Church. First of all, let me say this. I'm so thrilled that, that you would even honor us with your presence, that you would come, come and explore what maybe the Bible has to say about what it means to, to be a Christian or, or what it means to follow Jesus and to be a disciple and to have a, a close relationship with God, I'm honored that you would come here. Honored that you'd come here and listen. But I, I have a challenge for you. I have a challenge for you. Whenever Jesus says that he is God, whenever he says that he is God, you cannot come to him as if he's just a great man. You cannot come to Jesus who has claimed very clearly that he and God are one and the same, that he is just a great man. He's either far greater than a great man or he's far less, lesser than a great man. He's either far greater or far lesser. If, if, if he's just a madman, then he's far lesser. But if he actually is who he says he is, then he's far greater. You can't just say he is a great religious teacher that I wanna learn a little bit about. You have to say he is either a madman or he's Lord of all. He's either crazy or he actually is who he says he is. And, and all of us um, that, that uh, have subscribed to the Christian faith that said oh, we're putting our hope in Jesus have to come to terms with that. That's one of the very first things that we have to come to terms with as followers of Jesus in this room is, is Jesus just a great religious teacher or or is he the incarnate? Uh, is he is he the incarnate deity? Is he revealing to us what God Himself is actually like? Because He is God Himself. And so, verse nineteen says something uh, that I want to draw your attention attention to. So, hopefully, it's in an open Bible right in front of you. It says, "So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. He does likewise. So He calls for equality, and then He submits. He says, I am equal with God, but then also, also I submit to everything that I see. So why? Why is He submitting whenever He has the same equality with God. Why is he doing this? Well, the Apostle Paul explains it to us in Philippians chapter two. Let me read that it, um, in verse six. It says, Jesus Christ, whom though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. So he didn't wanna boast in it, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. And so he emptied himself. He completely emptied himself so that, so that we, me and you could understand that, uh, that uh, the way up is actually down. The way to exaltation is through humiliation. He's communicating the principle that Jesus um, ha has built into this world. And let me say this, it's also all about proper honor. Proper honor. Are you honoring Jesus the way that God the Father demands that you honor him as equal with him? See, Jesus submitted himself. He humbled himself. And what does God the Father do through his submission? He exalts him. He exalts him. You see, see me and you, the gospel is this, that we were behind enemy lines ready to go to battle against God. 
that we were lined up and saying, I don't want to honor God as Lord and Master, Savior. I don't care that he's the creator of anything. I'm rebelling against him through our sin, through our disobedience, by not loving my neighbor as myself, by not loving God with all that I am, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You, that is utter rebellion against the, the creator God who created you to love him and to walk with him. But then God, through his, through his mercy and grace, decided to send a king, a king that was not going to destroy all of his enemies, but was gonna win them over, to win them over. And so what he did is he began to snatch out, snatch out you and I while we were behind enemy lines. And he said, and he said look, Cody McMurray's over there. Go and get him, bring him over to this side because he is my son. He is my son and he doesn't belong on the enemy side. He belongs side by side with me, his great God and King. And whenever he does this, what, what Jesus, uh, what God declares and what Paul explains to us in Philippians two, verse nine, it says, because those that believe in him, therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see this equality working back and forth, this submission back and, uh, working, working its way in, and then God the Father exalting Jesus to the name that is above every name. So therefore, you and I that call ourselves Christian in this room, it's almost like we doubly, we doubly lay down our lives for Jesus because not only is he, he our master and creator, but he is also our savior. He saved us. He didn't just make us. We, uh, and so we, we, we see the principle is true. The way to blessing is by taking on the curse. The way to riches is to actually give it all away. The way to honor is to honor the Father above we honor, honoring ourselves. The way to great, greatness is actually through servant-heartedness. And the way up is actually the way down. I, I, I get to see a picture of um, just this being played out every single week, and it's really a, a grace to me. Um, by look at this gym, it's like man, looks beautiful, doesn't it? <laughs> it's just a gym, right? But bef- but at six fifty-five this morning, this really was just a gym, and some of the greatest leaders that we have in our church showed up six fifty-five. We had a parking lot already full of people that came and just said, "Hey, we'll sit out the chairs." We'll make these little towers. I think this was John um, Stewart, by the way. We'll make these little towers of uh, communion over here. We'll set up these TVs. We'll run these wires. We'll set up these curtains. We'll go up and down and set up the winch system and everything. We'll do all of this stuff. Why? Why? Because we love people and we want people to know Jesus and not be distracted and and all of this stuff. And our greatest leaders do that. They just serve. They just serve and they, they humble this, themselves into the dust to say, oh, this is my weekend. I could be sleeping. Instead, they wake up earlier than they do during the rest of their work week just to be able to serve and put this all, all together. And what, it, what, it, what happens is we, we love those people. We, we, we want to honor them and we see that, man, um, the way that I respect them is through their acts of service. You see this principle every, everywhere in life. We see this principle everywhere in life. Why? Because we are a reflection of God himself. And this is what he did on the cross. 
He humiliated himself all the way to be crucified naked on a cross so that God would exalt him above everything. And so the principle, the principle is true. So do you know how to apply it? Do you know how to apply this principle? Because the main thing that we see here is submission to God's will. Jesus desired to do the Father's will. He willed to do the will of God. He willed, do you know how to apply this? So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. I'm gonna give you four, four statements on how to um, actually act in and live out submission to the will of God, okay? So you might jot these down. There's four, four things. We'll go through them one by one, but I'll give you all of them up front. Submission means wrestling with God. I'll explain more. Submission means wrestling with God. Submission also means making a decision to trust him. You making a conscious decision to trust him. You wanna submit, you gotta trust him and you gotta make the decision to trust him. Number three, submission means to see your life from a high vantage point, from a God-like vantage point. To see the circumstances in your life from the vantage point of God. And number four, submission means joy. Submission means joy. So let me go through them one, one by one. Number one, submission means wrestling. It means wrestling. I know there's so many Christians in this room, so many people that are struggling in life, in life that are suffering. They're suffering. And um, I think we will continue to suffer and continue to suffer and we'll stay in it longer if we don't learn how to lament. We don't know, learn how to lament. Do you know how to lament about the suffering and the evil that's going on in this world? Do you, do you know that there's an entire book in the Bible called the book of Lamentations um, that really teaches you, you know, that the Psalms are filled of lamenting Psalms that are looking to what God, uh, God is doing and then saying, God, what are you, why, how much longer how, how much longer I'm gonna suffer? How much longer I'm gonna stay in this? So let me lay out uh, a, a kind of a, a blueprint of how to lament, how to lament. And, and, and this is really ties into wrestling with God because I think so many of us hear submission to God and you just think, oh, I'm, I'm a lap dog for, do, or for, for God. And I just, whatever he does, I just say, oh yeah, no, no big deal. Uh, God, God wills it, Right? No, this is, this is what's going on. I don't, I don't really care. I, I'm just happy that I'm with God. No, 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 no. Real submission to the will of God means that you have to wrestle with him. And the way that you wrestle appropriately is through lamenting. And this is how you lament. The first thing, so I'm gonna give you an acronym, A, which is ACT, A-C-T. The first thing you have to do to lament appropriately is you have to admit that you need help. The Christian life is not, it, there's no, no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian in this room. If you're trying to be a Lone Ranger Christian, guess what? You're probably one of the most miserable people in this room. Say, so, no, isn't those, that those that are far from God? No, no, the most miserable person is, is someone that says, I have one foot in the kingdom of God and I want to completely disregard all the things that God has called me to do. That's the most miserable person in this room who, is, who has said, yeah, I'm following Jesus over here, but yet I'm also wanting to be in the world and wanting to ultimately be in charge. 
because the Christian life has never meant to be by yourself. The word ecclesia, which we're gonna talk a little bit about next, next week, means you are the called out sent ones. Not sent one, but sent ones. You are together with the church. That's why we call ourselves a gospel-centered, disciple-making family. Not gospel-centered, disciple-making disciples. We belong to a part of a family. And until you admit that, that maybe all is well with your soul, but not all is well with your world, and that you actually need help from people that are close to you, and you can, you, you can actually admit that, you will, know, you will stay, you will stay wallowing around in your suffering for too long, too long. God has given us the church to lean on each other and to admit that, that yes, maybe all is well with my soul, but not all is well with my world, and I need help. That is okay. That is okay. We don't need an American Christianity where we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we are just lone rangering, white knuckling our way through this life. We need each other. Have you admitted that? Have you admitted that to your gospel community? Have, have you been coming to Redeemer for a while and said, you know what? I, you know, I, I just haven't jumped in all the way. I promise you, the suffering in this life demands that you have to jump in with a local church. Or, or your suffering will go on way, way too long. So the first thing you have to do is lament. The second thing you have to do is confess. Maybe this is a confession of your sin that you're lamenting over, or maybe it's a confession of a sin that has been done against you. You confess that to God. God, this is not right. The world is not right. What is going on in this world? Why, why, how long will you tarry? How long will you allow this to continue to go on? This is what you have to cry out to God. You have to confess to God. And so many, so many people, whenever I see them in their suffering, I said, have you prayed about it? Have you asked God? And you say, no, I can't. I can't. The, the Bible has given you a blueprint to walk through suffering in the form of lamenting, but you have to confess to him. You have to go to him. You have to cry out to him. You can even yell at him. Redeemer, do you hear me? You can yell at God. You can yell at him. He, he knows all things. You're not surprising him with your present circumstances. Yell out to God and say, God, this is not right. I need help. I need mercy. I need justice. I need grace. I need this to be fixed. And I don't know what's going on. We have, we have to be able to confess not only our sins, but also the sins that have been gin, done against us to those that are around us and also to God Almighty in prayer. And the third thing that you need in lamenting, and this is the most important thing, is if you do A and C without T, if you do A and C without T, which is truth, then all you're doing, all you're doing is you're having a prolonged whining session and I know that's harsh language, but, but, but God calls us to lament. And you know what happens in lamentations? As he says, all is vanity. This is terrible. Life doesn't make sense. The suffering in this world doesn't make sense. My, I, I'd rather die. I don't know what's going on. But then he says, but whom have I in heaven but you? And what happens in, the, in, in Lamentations, what happens in the Psalms is they decree, decree to God, this is what's going wrong in the world. And then they cry and they profess and they preach the character of God 
over their present circumstances. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I said, we don't live by sight, we live by faith. And whenever we are being dominated by our present circumstances, you are living moment to moment. You're living by faith or you're living by sight of what's right in front of you. The people of God don't do that. We live by faith. How do we live by faith? Proclaim the good news of the gospel over your present suffering and circumstances and say, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why you're letting this go on this long. I don't understand, but I know your character and I will read it out loud and I'll have it try to wash over the, the callousness, the prickly pearness, the, 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 the burned, seared parts of my heart so that I can know and understand the truth and preach and beg my heart to believe in faith that what I need, what I really need is the truth of God. See, submission comes through believing the truth even whenever your present suffering feels unbearable. And so submission is not just being a lapdog and just saying, hey, my, my world's okay. Yeah, sure, this, this is going wrong and I have suffering over here and I experienced a loss over here and I'm lonely over here. And uh, this thing, I haven't had justice for this for over a couple of years over here. But, but, but I will profess that Jesus is Lord and he's on the throne and I know that his, he loved me and gave himself for me. So therefore, therefore I will tr try to trust him moment by moment, day by day. That's wrestling. That's wrestling with God. And that's what real submission actually looks like. We see Jesus do this in the garden, do we not? Jesus does this in the garden in Matthew chapter 26, verse 35, 38, rather. It says, my soul is sorrowful even to death. And then he looks to his disciples and he says, stay here and watch with me and pray. And then he goes a little further and he falls on his face and he prays. And he says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What is he doing? He's admitting that he needs help. He's confessing the weight that he's experiencing and feeling, and then he professes the truth. But yet, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. He's lamenting. He's lamenting the heartache that he's going through before he goes through the cross. And that's an example for you and for me. If we want to be, if we want to be uh, people people that submit to God and be like Jesus, we have to wrestle with him through prayer, and lamenting all the things that are not right in our world. Number two, submission comes through a decision to trust. Through a decision to trust. Jesus decided to trust the Father even when it was hard. Jesus decided to trust the Father even if it meant go to the cross. And he calls us to do the same thing. Jesus willed to do the Father's will. He decided to do the Father's will. He calls you to the same thing, Redeemer. In John chapter seven, verse 17, it says, if anyone wills to do God's will, he will know. So this is a decision that we have to make, moment by moment, which means we have to be saturated in the word of God. How can we know the right decision to make whenever we are being discipled by the world? When we're being discipled by Joe Rogan, whenever we're being discipled by CNN, whenever we're being discipled by the newsreel, we will not make the right decisions. We have to immerse ourselves in the word of God so that we can know and understand what the good and perfect will of God is so that we can make a decision moment by moment. How can I honor and trust and submit to the will of God? 
And so there's two different parts to the will of God that let's just kind of clarify real fast. You can be like, will of God, that seems so ethereal. Is that just everything that happens? Kind of. There's the planned will of God so that everything that, that happens here on this earth, in this life, that is the planned will of God. But there's also the command will of God. The command will of God is um, something that where, you know, if you're, if you're in a business situation and you have to stand up for the truth, you have to stand up for integrity, you have to stand up for financial stability or whatever, that it might actually cost you your job. And you say, I have to make the conscious decision to obey the command will of God moment by moment, even whenever it's unpopular and even whenever it costs me. But the planned will of God is submission to how God organizes your story. See, God is a good storyteller and he's telling a story to elevate his glory and to elevate our joy. But he's, he, he's one of those great storytellers that has backstories and intertwines the, the, the narratives and the dialogues between people and there's foreground and there's background and there's foreshadowing and there's all this stuff and that's our lives. That's our lives that we, that we participate in. And so... So submission is actually meaning you have to make a decision to obey the command will of God and the plan will of God. And that brings me to point number three, which submission means that you have to jockey for position in your life to get a good vantage point. Uh, there's a, I have two boys and there's always a crisis with the two-year-old, just always, just classic two, just wakes up a little grumpy. He's super cute, you know, me and his mother loves him. And, um, you know, we, we, really, we really love him, but he, he, he's just kind of a difficult kid. We named him Cannon. We probably should have named him just like Gentle or something like that. He, he thinks he's like a loose cannon and, and all of this. And so there's constantly things going wrong in his, in his little world. And there's no reasoning with with this little guy. There's absolutely no reasoning with this guy. So, uh, the, the, you know, brother could knock over his blocks and we could, be, we could say, hey, I'm gonna sit down with you and we're gonna play blocks all day long. And does he care? Does he care about my words? He's like, no, I want punishment of brother. I want this rewinded in history. So to be right back the way that I wanted it. And even if you build it, he's just gonna knock it over and be upset and frustrated. What, what's, what's happening? What's happening in that little kid's life? I could say, hey, I'm gonna give you a, a million dollars. I don't have a million dollars. Someone, one of you might say, hey, I'm sorry your blocks fell down. I'm gonna give you a million dollars though. And is he gonna care? No, he's not gonna care. Why? Because he doesn't have the proper vantage point. He just sees all the things that are going on right in front of him. And whenever you wrestle with God and whenever you're trying to consciously make decisions to submit to the will of God, what you're doing is you're jockeying for a position to say, God, can I see things the way that you see them? Can I, can I look, can I look at my life in my present circumstance and sufferings and can I tr try to hope, hope in glory of you to where I get to walk with you even in the midst of my present suffering? So the way that you submit to God is actually trying to say, okay, how can I view this the way that God views it and allow that? Not to be a, a lapdog submission, but to help give your heart hope so that you can live by faith in the trials of your present circumstances. You see, a lot of people in this room, I know this, a lot of people in this room are saying, you know what, I would, I would submit to God if he just told me what was going on, if, he, if I just knew and understood why my suffering was going on, 
if I just knew and understood why he would put me, why me, Lord, then maybe I would follow him. Then maybe I will walk with him. Then maybe I will understand. And you know what? Anyone that's a parent in this room, parents, look at me. Do you want your kids to obey you or do you want your kids to agree with you? You know the difference? There's a big difference there, right? You say, hey, uh, I, I need you to go pick up why. Well, we have people coming over. Why? I was like, I, I actually don't need you to ask any why questions right now because I don't need you to agree with me. I need you to obey me. So whenever I tell you to do something, you just do it. Why? Because I've always taken care of you. You can trust me. Uh, I fed you three times uh, every single day of your life. And just trust that I love you and I have your best interests at heart. Isn't that what we do with God? Isn't, aren't we the two-year-old in, in, in that instance to where God says to do something and we say, why? Or God puts us through something and we say, why would you, why? Why, why me, God? Uh, maybe I would follow you if you fix all this mess that I'm in right now, right? Right? Isn't that what we do? But that's not submission. That's agreement. That's saying, that's having God as your ally and not, not as your master Lord and friend. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But not just if you agree with him. And so God is a good storyteller. I don't know why you're going through the suffering that you're going through right now. I don't know. But I know it's not for nothing. And I know that God is looking at your life and he is telling this grandiose story to try to elevate the greatness of who he is so that you can know him and walk with him and enjoy him. Which brings me to point number four. Submission is really all for your joy. Submission is for your joy. You say, Cody, that doesn't sound right at all. Submission sounds terrible. You want me to walk with God even though I don't understand where he's gonna take me? I don't even know if I can trust, if I can trust this God. I don't even know if I can really walk with him. But remember the way of Jesus, the principle that we laid out from the very beginning. The, the way up is down. Jesus didn't submit himself to stay uh, in the grave for forever. He resurrected. He resurrected from the dead. And so our submission follows the same pattern. Whenever we walk with him day in and day out, whenever we make conscious decisions to follow his will day in and day out, over time, maybe not in the present circumstances, maybe it will, do, maybe it will cause more suffering to obey. But in the long run, what, what you gain is him. You gain the source of all joy. You get, you get God himself who you were made for and who, who grabbed you from behind enemy lines and placed you as co-heirs with him forever and ever. Do you understand this? Have you walked with God this way? Do you believe the truth of submitting to God will actually bring you joy? I hope you do. I hope you do. Who else are you gonna trust? You can trust yourself? Uh, you and I both know that uh, if, if the person next to you knew how much you let yourself down on a daily basis to where you don't even follow through with the plans that you have set for this week, you've already broken all of your uh, New Year's resolution except like two of y'all. Please don't tell me afterwards if, if you're one of those two. You're just, keep it up, keep it up. But you know, like and no one really receives that really well whenever they hear it. But you know, you know that you let yourself down. 
You let yourself down. You want to trust in yourself? Imagine, this is a silly, I'll close with this. This is silly, but imagine God said, okay, you can, you can plan out your life however you want to plan it. You can plan out your life however you want to plan it. But here's the trick. Which you is going to do the planning? Is it, your, is it the you now? Why isn't, the, is, why isn't it the you whenever you're 12 years old? Why, why, why not pick that you? It's like my 12, 12 year old you has the opportunity to plan out my entire life and how, how it actually goes. And you said, why wouldn't you want that? You said, because whenever I was 12, I was kind of a fool. And well, now you're so wise, right? <laughs> like, why not your 50 year old self? Why, why not your 90 year old self? Because, because you know that deep down you can't even trust yourself to, if you had ultimate power over your life, you would let, your, you would let yourself down. What else do you have but to submit to God and to God alone. He's good. He's good. Remember, remember Aslan? Remember what Susan said? Oh my, he's a lion. The king is a lion. Is he safe? No, he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king. Who else are you going to trust? I'll close with the last C.S. Lewis um, quote of the day. C.S. Lewis says this, We can trust him because the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of man. Do you trust God with your life? Are you willing to today submit to his command will and his planned will for your life? I hope you do. Because whenever you do, you'll actually experience life and joy the way that God has designed for it to be. Let's pray.